1 Samuel chapter 8, 1 Samuel chapter 8, I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 5. 1 Samuel 8, 1 through 5. And it came about when Samuel was old that he appointed his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second Abijah. They were judging in Beersheba. His sons, however, did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after dishonest gain and took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Um, you know, when we talk about God's Word, by the way, the name of the, ti- the title of the sermon is Appoint a King for Us. <laughs> Appoint a King to Lead Us. And you know, when we talk about the Word of the Lord, we talk about attributes. If you sit on the floor at Presbyterian and you do an ordination exam, um, you're going to have to ask, answer this question, what are the attributes of God's Word? And the first one is authority. It's authoritative. You have to say it's sufficient, necessary, perspicuous. Y'all know what perspicuous means, right? It's clear. It's clear. Perspicuity. It's clear. And also we talk about it being God-breathed. But another reason I think we can all agree that this is the Word of God and not the Word of a man is that when you read the Bible, you see that the Bible does not romanticize the history of God's people. If you and I write, even me, I think about, you know, when I write things out about things that happened in the past, I I think about the good stuff and I leave out some of the bad. And I think we all, maybe we ought to do that sometimes, but sometimes we do need to remember some of the stuff that's not so romantic. And the Bible is very clear when we look at Israel, it shows Israel's warts and all. And when you and I read the Bible, when you and I study the Bible, um, it shows to us our warts and all. We, I was talking to Ben and some of the men the other day in the Bible study. This is a little free thing. But we are studying about Saul, and we are, being, we are straining and as we look at this stuff, as it really is gripping us to see. I just wonder at, at the fact that anybody saved after seeing Saul of Tarsus go through uh, Acts chapter 9. But here we are, we're going to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8, and God's going to show us four things about ourselves, and then finally He's going to show us two things about Himself. And the first thing is this, God shows us how easily we forget Ebenezer. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about Ebenezer. God shows us how easily we forget Ebenezer. He says, we read here in verse 5, Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. Do you remember Ebenezer? Do you remember what happened when Ebenezer the stone was set up? Do you remember? <laughs> we, have, we need to remember it's so easy to forget. You see, the last time we studied in chapter 7, God, Samuel, brings the people to Mizpah because the people have been turning away from their idols turning away from Ashtoreth, turning away from Baal, and now they're repenting, and he calls the people 
to Mizpah, and as they're confessing their sins, and he offers a suckling lamb up for the, for, for the sacrifice, and Samuel's praying for the people, the Philistines hear about it, and they gather, and they're going to come, and they're going to fight against Israel. Remember, they're the ones who are oppressing the Israelites at this time. And so the people cry out to Samuel, their mediator, to pray for them, and he prays. And God thunders a big thunder, and the people of the Philistines are sent into a panic, and God's people, Israel, slaughters the Philistines with a great slaughter. Why are the people forgetting? Why are the people of God forgetting in chapter 8 what happened in chapter 7? Well, it's because a new generation of Israelites have come on the scene. Samuel at Mizpah, see this is important when we need to read our text, Samuel at Mizpah was young. He was young. And surely his children, if they were born, they were young. He's been preaching repentance. And he's been leading the people back to God. And there's stability in the land. And there's peace in the land. And remember how it was all when it was all done at Mizpah. And the great victory happened. Remember he went back home and he starts itinerating. And he starts, he's judging people and he's making decisions. But he's leading people in worship of God. And there's great Great stability. But now, what does it say there in verse 1? Now Samuel was old, and a new generation has, been, has come into existence. And the Scriptures tell us in Judges 2.10 that it's a, it's a terrible reality, but it's this. With the passing from one generation to the next, the second generation needs to be so careful because it can, it can be a generation that does not know who the Lord is, does not know what the Lord has done, and has no fear of the Lord in their eyes. In verse 3, Samuel appointed his sons, Joel and Abijah, to serve down south in Beersheba. And while they were there, they showed themselves to be bad men. Look at verse 3. His sons, however, did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. I don't know if these boys were alive, but they, if they were alive, they would have been young when the thunder happened and when the great victory was given at Mizpah. But certainly this uh, Samuel did not appoint his two sons to go down south and turn out badly. But once they were separated from their father, they did not fear the Lord. They forgot, and so did Israel. They both forgot. So all the elders of Israel gathered together, and they came to Samuel to make the request. In verse 5 it says, But you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to govern us. Why do they forget chapter 7? They forget about the rout of their enemies. They forget about the invisible God who gave them this victory. They forget that Ebenezer means thus far the Lord has helped us. They forget the invisible hand of God. It's so easy for us to forget our Ebenezer. You and I, we need to remember Ebenezer. We need to remember that stone. We need to remember that God is the one who has helped us thus far, and he will continue to help us. We need to remember we have an unseen God who is always present. And you need to remember that your sins have been forgiven by the blood of Christ. And you need to remember that he has helped you out of every difficulty Every hole, every one of the bellies of the fish that you've been in, and I've been in more, I've probably been in more than, than Jonah's been in, right? And we need to remember he's helped us in every valley of the shadow of death. We need to remember 
Ebenezer, too easy to forget. Second, God shows us how easily we misplace our trust. Look at verses 5 and 6. Samuel said to them, Behold, the people said to him, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. See, they say two things to Samuel that are very displeasing. They speak of Samuel being old, and they speak of his sons being wicked. This has to be very displeasing to Samuel. Now, there's um, one thing for sure. Now, we can kid about it. We can kid about it. But there's not a single man who gets to be a little bit older likes to be told he's getting old. Nobody wants them. Now, we could tease. But these folks are coming to say, you have grown old. You're getting old. And he feels like he's displeasing to them, and they are rejecting him. And you need to remember, this is the guy who was born for this ministry. You remember his mama, and you remember his dad. This guy was born for this ministry, and he's given himself up to God, and now... They're saying, you are old. It's almost like out with the old. (laughs) Out with the old. What have you done for us lately? They don't remember that the reason they have the stability is because of the old man, because of the ministry of this man who has been faithful. And so this had to hurt. And there was also this displeasure with his sons, and surely this grieved his heart. And you know, many commentators really take Samuel to task. They say the reason his boys were bad is the same reason that Eli's boys were bad. He didn't restrain them. He didn't discipline them early. He didn't stop them from their sin. But there's not a single verse in the Bible that says anything about Samuel being bad. It says Eli didn't train train his sons and didn't stop his sons and didn't keep his sons from sin. But Samuel is presented as a man of great virtue. Yet he sends his sons down there to the south And when they get down there, they go south. You and I, we must see that the finger cannot always be pointed back to mom and dad. I think that's a statement right there. These young men, they left home. And while they were under his roof, they were restrained. They were restrained. And when they got away from home, they were unrestrained. The prodigal son was in the father's home and he lived restrained when he took his inheritance. That's when he lived unrestrained. And the people are saying, now appoint for us a king. One of the oldest tricks in Satan's book of accusations is to stand against an older believer. I got a few older believers in here. And conspire against you with old age regret. Satan would conspire to increase your despair in your old age. Satan would conspire to take the joy out of your steps, take the smile off of a more wrinkled face, and cause you to end your life in great uh, unhappiness, to waste away in sadness and sorrow instead of being driven to God in prayer. And that's what Samuel did when he saw that he has... Feeling rejected, he went straight to the Lord in prayer. In verse 6, it says, Samuel prayed to the Lord, and this is where the Lord redirects his focus. Look at verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you. They have rejected me from being king over them. Samuel, it's not you they're rejecting, it's me. They're forgetting about me. They're forgetting about this invisible defender that I've been for them. I'm the unseen monarch, 
And I was the one who delivered them from the Philistines in chapter 7. Now they're reverting back to chapter 4. Remember chapter 4? little test. They want something they can see. What could they see? The box. Now they want a guy they can see. They want a guy who's head and shoulders above the rest. They want a guy who can go out and fight their battles. Now, it's, you need to know this, that there's nothing wrong with the children of Israel having a king. In fact, Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 17, 14, he writes that you can have a king like other nations, but he can't be like the other nations' kings. He can be like, and un, but he has to be unlike. You remember how he can't be like? He has to be chosen by me. He must be an Israelite, not a foreigner. He must be somebody who doesn't follow the customs of the kings of other nations. They, your, your king, he can't have a harem. Your king is not to be, um, you know, full of, you know, always looking for wealth. And your king has to be subject to the law of God. Now, I, I always love to say this because I think that we all should maybe do this in our own way. But, you know, kings of Israel, they were supposed to get the Bible out. They were supposed to get the law out and make their own copy of it. Think about that. Can you, do you, have you ever sat down and just written out the Bible in your own hand? To teach them to be under God's word. The problem with the people's desire here for a king had to do with their motive. They wanted somebody they could see. They're rejecting the invisible God. They want a substitute. How easy it is for us to misplace our trust. To trust in something we can see. To trust in something we can hear. Trust in somebody we can see, a man. Trust in somebody we can hear their words and hear or watch their voice, their mouth make the words. Trust in somebody that we can see. If our church has a problem, how do we determine how to meet that problem? Do we look to an invisible God for help or do we go and look for a gimmick? You know, today I said, you know, we need connections. <laughs> but do we just look to the connections? Do we just look to the seminary? Do we just look to the, stu- to the sound system? Or do we look to God to use the sound system? It's two ways of looking at it. You know, what are we looking at? Do we look to a website and say that's going to make our church grow? Or do we pray God use our website to help our church to grow? When we are faced with financial problems, what do we look at? Do we look to God or do we look to somehow figuring it out for ourselves? When you see a political agenda and you see how socialistic our country is becoming, do you despair and do you hope for a better election? We all should go out and vote. But we should all look to God. In Psalm 118, 8 and 9, it says, It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in a man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Princes cannot save Psalm 146, verse 3. How many of us feel safer by placing our trust in a good bank balance than in our, the promises of God? How many of us love to feel, do we feel safer because we trust in men and women rather than in God? The Bible teaches us a great deal about prepping, doesn't it? You know, my wife, she loves watching prepping shows where you go out and you get ready for the what you need in the future and there's... Uh, dehydration and all these sort of things that people talk about and it's important for us to store up for a rainy day but the bible also speaks a great deal about how god takes care of us and gives us what we need every day 
And when the children of Israel were making their way through the wilderness, those last 38 years, God provided for them manna for every single day. And if they took too much, thinking that they were going to have enough for the next day, what happened to it? It would stink, and it was full of worms. And so God is teaching us that He takes care of us every day. And so the point is this, and I think this is something we all should just constantly rehearse in our minds. Whether we have a big bank balance or not a very significant bank balance. Whether we have many, many clients or few. Whether we have a great job or maybe a not so great job. Always reminding ourselves that we're dependent on the invisible God. Dependent on the hand of this God to take care of us. Well, third, God shows us how easily we are ashamed to be different. Look at verse 5. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like, like all the nations. Don't we struggle? All these folks all today, all day long, what, what are people saying? Well, I have my own unique truth, and yet they all wear the same clothes. <laughs> it's really interesting, isn't it? We struggle, we want to be unique, and yet we don't want to be out of line. We don't want to be the person who's standing out of line. We don't want to be the odd man out. Yet the Bible tells us we're to be holy. In Leviticus 19, 1 and 2, the Lord says, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Peter repeats that in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. And then he says in chapter 2, verse 9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to to God, you and I are to be distinct. We're to be like no one else. But oh, we say, wouldn't it, we would just rather blend in. You're not to blend in. Israel was a unique nation and they operated on the, under the hand of an invisible God and he is not, he was not a despot. And when he set his people free out of Egypt, he released them from people who were tyrants. Remember how they were forced to labor and they were beaten and they were whipped and God leads them out and cares for them. They were unique people and God took care of those people and he ruled and reigned over them like a shepherd. You and I, we're under King Jesus. And as his disciples, we are to abide in his word and so many people would say that word, man, that's just like a bunch of handcuffs. But when you put those put those handcuffs on, you know what happens to you? <laughs> You're free. Truth makes you free. Living and doing what God requires of us makes us free. But don't we at times fall into this trance-like state that the world's got to be a little bit better, the grass is really greener, we feel like we're in a trance? Y'all go read. This is, not in the, this is not in the sermon. But go read Psalm 73 and see what happens to that guy. He, he's in a trance. He's going, hey, man. Is this all in vain to live for God? <laughs> That's what he's basically saying. We begin to think, why should I stand out? Why do I have to go to church and spend all day with people like and, and when everybody else is at the football games? You know how many millions of people are at ball games? Even at this moment, I'm missing out. Why am I the only one in the college dorm who goes to church? Why am I the only one who's concerned about my modesty about my clothing? about the length of my skirt or the length of the neck of my neck, my neckline? Why am I the one who's making sure that I don't spew out potty mouth talk? Everybody else does. Why am I the one who's concerned about this? Why am I careful with my eyes? Why, do I, uh, why am I the one who's concerned about intimacy before marriage? Why? Why am I the one who's wanting to make sure that I'm pure? 
Why am I the husband who wants to come home and take care of his family when everybody works themselves into the ground? Why am I that guy? The world seems sometimes to make life look so much better than the one we have. But you and I, we belong to Christ. We've been bought with a price, and therefore you are to glorify God with your body. You've been washed, you've been justified, you've been sanctified, and you need to just go ahead, as that song says, dare to be a what? A Daniel. Dare to be a Hananiah, Shadrach, or, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I can give it to you both in the Hebrew and the, and the uh, new names were given to them by Nebuchadnezzar. Don't be ashamed to be different. One commentator says, are you willing to be a minority of one? Are you willing? Are you willing to stand alone? You know, God may deliver you out of the fire. God might deliver you through the fire. And God may deliver you into His presence because you die in the fire. But one way or the other, God is going to deliver you. You know, uh, Evan was talking to me this week and he reminded me. (laughs) He wrote a paper on um, Luther and... um, Luther thought he was going to be killed, but Frederick the Elector had him kidnapped to save his life. And so when he took the, you know, the uh, hood off of his face, he realized he was in the hands of friends. <laughs> God may save us that way. Who knows? But God will deliver us. Not, number four, God shows us how easily we resist his counsel when it does not agree with our opinion. The elders of Israel, they persist in their desire for a king. God gives them counsel not to have a king. Verse 9, Now then, the Lord says, listen to their voice. However, Samuel, you shall solemnly warn the people and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. Now in verses 10 through 18, I'm going to read these verses fast. But listen to these verses. Samuel is going to describe, this is God speaking through Samuel, and he's describing an eastern despot, and he leaves out some of the worst features of what an eastern despot would be like. But listen to this, and see if you can pick up on a phrase, what, what the king will be like that they want. Verse 10, so Samuel spoke. He said, verse 11, This will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and place them for them for himself in his chariots among the horsemen, and they will run before the chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders and th- of thousands and of fifties, and some to do his plowing and to reap his harvest and to make his weapons of war and equip uh, and equipment for his chariots. He will t- also take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers. So he's going to take the sons, he's going to take the daughters. Number 14, verse 14, he will take the best of your fields. Now he's going to take their stuff. Now he's going to take their property. And he's going to take your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. He will also take your male servants and your female servants and your best men and your donkeys and use them for his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become his servants. Then you will cry out in that day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. What did you see about that king? (laughs) He's a taker. He's a taker, man. What kind of king's the invisible God? He's a giver. He's a giver. He's a caregiver. So these guys... 
God is saying, here are the painful consequences of getting the king you're choosing for yourselves. And what's their response in verse 19? Nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but there shall be a king over us. They resisted the council. They refused it. They see the consequences in front of them, and they refuse to hear it's so easy to resist godly counsel when somebody gives it to us, when it goes against our opinion. And that it's just, oh man, when you're bent on something you want to do, it's so hard to listen to elders give you good counsel. Listen to your counsel, folks. Do not be resistant. Be teachable. Submit to Jesus. He's not a taker, He's a giver. He's a shepherd. He laid his life down for you. He knows what's the best for you. Listen to his counsel. Do not exchange godly counsel for a season of sin. There's a thought. Sin is so appealing. But in just one season, the consequences of one season of sin can last a lifetime. I read the story of a bull and a bull in a ring. With the bullfighter, the bull picks his mark. It says he closes his eye. He charges at the mark, not knowing that when he strikes the mark, he, he destroys his brain. He's striking something that will kill him. And that's what sometimes I think people are like. Don't we do that sometimes? We just set our mind on something and we put our head down and we don't think about what we're fixing to crash into. Yes, God does forgive, but... But wow, what are the consequences after being forgiven sometimes if we've gone and bashed ourselves into something that does so much damage? Here are the consequences. Here are the consequences all spelled out beforehand we hear. Stop. <laughs> Take the counsel. Don't be a bull. Proverbs twelve fifteen says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Well, here are two things we learn about God. We learn about how God grants His permission. Listen to their voice and appoint them a king. <laughs> that is not that is not what Samuel thought God was going to say. <laughs> That's not what God even counseled. But God gave them what they wanted. That's a scary thought. God gave them what they wanted. And the Lord is giving them what they want and to teach them not to want what they want and to want what He wants for them. And sometimes that's a scary thought. So He's teaching them to, if you resist godly counsel and you get what you want, He will teach you not to resist godly counsel in the future. The Lord at times allows us to be bullheaded and to be mules to learn a lesson. Alexander McLaren says, says, I think I probably paraphrased this when I wrote these notes. God knows the surest way to disgust us with our own folly is to allow us to have what we want and then to have to go through all the consequences. And then when you go through all the consequences, the next time it's time to take counsel, you go, yes, whatever you say. <laughs> I need to listen. I need to listen to that counsel. The best arguments have been supplied to you, and yet we're not teachable. And now God, in loving anger, gives us what we desire in order to teach us 
to long for what he desires. The father gave the prodigal son what he wanted, and then the son, after he lost everything and went through all the consequences, he longed for home. Now, on the flip side, let me say this. How grateful we should be when the Lord does not give us what we want. How many times have you prayed for things? <laughs> and you didn't get it. And you're going, I prayed for that. And a few years later or a few months later you go, oh, I'm so glad I didn't get that. Dale Davis says this, how many mercies may hide there? The Lord's refusals are not indifference to you, but they may be the greatest kindness. Well, finally... How graciously God overrules our sin. God said, listen to them and point for them a point for them a king. So God in his providence graciously works according to his purposes. He even works using our sin. He even works when we misplace our trust and put it not in him but in men. He even works through our desire to be like everybody else. He even works through our resistance to godly counsel. Because God has eternal purposes. And those will not be thwarted. And what did the people get? Now we're going, we're going to get there. Who did they get? They got Saul. And at first Saul was a pretty good guy. But then it wasn't too long until he turned into a, the green-eyed monster got a hold of him called envy and jealousy. And he was so full of envy and jealousy. He was a tyrant. He was a madman. And then when he was taken off the scene, God gave them the king he wanted them to have. He gave them a David, a man after God's own heart. So God uses sin and God uses obedience to accomplish his purposes. McLaren writes, men may wish for the right things in a wrong way. And God uses sin as well as obedience as his instrument. No barriers can stop the march of his great purpose through the ages. Any more than a bit of glass can stay a sunbeam. However, the currents run and the storms howl. They carry the ship to the haven, for he holds the helm and all the winds help. But oh, how you and I should be careful to stay close to the Lord and not learn the hard way. Don't go out and sin just because you know that God's going to use your sin to accomplish his goals. Don't do that. Don't fall into that temptation. This is the way God works with us. And even on the cross, the most reprehensible act throughout all history, God was at work. As men thought this man on the cross was getting what he deserved, Jesus was getting on the cross what we deserved so that we might be saved. Jesus say, says, I came to serve and to give, not to take, to give my life as a ransom for many. And he gave. And I want to end this by telling you ought to look at your lives. There are not many of us here. But think about this, guys. Look at your lives. God has been working in your lives, working all things together for the good. God has taught you to remember Ebenezer. And God has taught you to put your trust in Him and not in men. God has taught you to be holy and different. God has taught you to take counsel. And yes, sometimes you haven't. And yes, sometimes you have suffered bitter lessons. But oh, how he has, not, has he not worked in your sin and in your obedience to accomplish his purposes and draw you closer? Are you not sitting in front of God right now, this invisible God, in your right mind? You remember the guy in Mark 5? He's in his right mind and he wants to follow Jesus. 
Is He having His way with you right now? Think of how blessed you are. Think of what you deserve, Dwight Gardner. We just got through talking about it before the service started. Dwight said, I don't deserve to be here. Think about what we deserve and think about what we're getting. Think about how God has graciously overruled in your favor. You are some of the most blessed people in the world. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, you are some of the most blessed people in the world. In fact, there's no other people like you in the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word again. We thank you for the opportunity to study how easy it is for us to forget, how easy it is to misplace our trust, how easy it is for us to not take good counsel sometimes. We praise you for working through our sin. We praise you for making all things work together for our good. Lord, don't allow us to fall into the temptation that we can go out and do something wrong and be forgiven. Help us to stay close to you. Help us to remember these folks and remember the ones who are not with us tonight that we need to encourage us and assemble with us and love and pray for us and keep us sharp. Thank you for our Bible studies and thank you for our friends. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us to stay close to you. Father, as we leave here tonight, help us sing our way out of here. Help us to put the things up that need to be put back into the, um, the, our uh, unit out there trailer and father we pray that as we leave lord help us have some refreshment help us to enjoy this evening tonight and go to bed rested tomorrow to do your will thank you again for allowing us to worship we pray this in jesus name amen, amen.